0: In the 90s and 2000s, there was this fundamental shift in how we talked about mental health with the release of new drugs that were found to help support depression and anxiety, among other things. This was an incredible moment as so many people were finally able to feel okay, some for the very first time. As a result, how we talked about mental health started to shift from you can pray it away or just change your mindset to it's not your fault, it's a chemical imbalance. For many, this was our first taste of freedom. As time went on, however, and more research came out, what we discovered both affirmed this and challenged this new model. And what early researchers originally thought was just a chemical imbalance fixable with medication we actually were able to trace back to something else entirely. Trauma. And for the best outcomes, we needed more than just medication. What followed was groundbreaking studies that revealed not only how interlinked trauma was to mental health, but also to nearly every major disease out there. And not only that, But what we thought was chemical imbalances being passed down through genetics with ideas like depression just runs in my family, it was actually, you guessed it, also trauma. But how is this even possible? How could something that happened cause that kind of havoc so long after it happened and then pass the effects on to future generations? And if we ourselves experience trauma, how will that affect us today or our kids? That's exactly what we're going to get into and talk about in today's episode. Hey, I'm Anna Beth. I'm a trauma recovery coach and host of Safe Haven Parenting Podcast. This episode is the third episode in my now five-part Understanding Trauma series, where we're breaking down what trauma is, different kinds of trauma, the effects trauma has on ourselves and our kids, and what to do to support recovery. This was a four-part series, but after getting into today's episode, I realized there was no way I could break this down into one 15-minute segment. So I'm actually gonna split the effects of trauma into two parts. In today's part, we're gonna look at what it looks like for adults. And then in the next part, we're gonna make it, or we're gonna talk about what it looks like for our kids. So when I was a kid, my family would drive 12 hours from my home in Washington to go see my grandparents in California where we would spend a week at Shasta Lake with all of my extended family. It was the best. Some of my favorite memories are at that lake. But inevitably, summertime in California gets hot. And eventually we'd get to the point where we'd be too hot to stay at the lake. And so we'd all pile into our cars and drive up into the mountains to McLeod Falls, where we could jump off and swim in the snow runoff. I don't know if you've ever jumped off a waterfall before, but there's this moment right before you jump that the fear creeps in and you have to argue with your instincts before you can actually take the leap. Depending on how great your fear of heights is or of mortality is, you might never be able to get past that and actually take the jump. That was me. I couldn't ever take the jump <laughs> but often when we face something like that out of our comfort zone our instincts tell us to either run away from it hide from it or freeze up and go numb this instinct is there to keep us alive and it's to keep us from jumping off 15 foot waterfalls on hot summer days i won't get into all the sciencey details But to sum it up, that fight-flight-freeze reaction is actually caused by cortisol. And that cortisol allows us to act quickly enough so that we can get to safety when we need it. Now, in small amounts, cortisol is not a bad thing, and our body can process it just fine. Once you jump off that waterfall or cross the finish line in a race or get to safety after you've been startled or scared, that cortisol goes away and we move on with our life. But when we experience prolonged trauma, that cortisol causes a toxic soup with the main ingredient being inflammation because cortisol causes inflammation. The longer we are in an environment that is causing a trauma response or the more traumatic events that we live through, the more toxicity that cortisol becomes inside of our body. We were never meant to thrive with consistent exposure to cortisol. We often think that once we are out of that situation, it will no longer affect us. Or that if we just quit thinking about what happened, that's the same thing as healing what happened. But this is a much more complex issue. If we fall off a sidewalk and twist our ankle, that ankle will still be twisted even if you leave the sidewalk. Even if you weren't anywhere near that sidewalk, leaving the sidewalk isn't what heals the ankle. Trauma is, excuse me, the same. It leaves a tangible injury, even if you can't see a bruise and just being away from the cause of the trauma doesn't mean that injury is going to disappear. In simple terms, because trauma causes inflammation, trauma wreaks havoc both physically and mentally. Physically, that inflammation causes hair-trigger immune responses, which means that we get sick super easily. It also causes autoimmune disorders, celiac disease, thyroid disease, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, arthritis, and rheumatoid arthritis fibromyalgia, migraines, cancer, sleep disorders, eating disorders, fatigue. You can develop a sensitivity to light, noise, crowds, textures, and you also have a re- can have a reduced telomere, which is the science way of saying it can shorten our lifespan. Now, obviously, trauma is not the only cause of these issues, but what we do know is that we can link it enough that trauma is considered one of the most expensive health crises and a leading cause of death in North America right now. Trauma is also directly linked to addictions, bullying, violence, and abuse. Understanding trauma is our best line of defense in creating safer homes, safer schools, safer communities, and a safer world. Mentally, trauma can change our brain in three different ways. One part of our brain shrinks, another part of our brain gets bigger, and another part of our brain gets damaged. The part of our brain that shrinks is called the hippocampus, and it's the part of our brain that manages direction and spatial distances. Trauma survivors are notorious for getting lost. Missing turns, mixing up left and right, walking into things, stubbing their toes, and tripping over their own feet. For me personally, Bluetooth navigation apps have saved me so many times. But even then, I'm still prone to for misjudging the distances, and I definitely get my left and right mixed up all the time. The hippocampus is also the part of our brain that stores information. It's kind of like an internal filing cabinet, but trauma kind of upends the filing cabinet and all of our files go everywhere. So what this means is that we often have information, but we may not know what to do with that information, be able to connect the right dots, file it correctly. For instance, many trauma survivors wind up with super weird grocery shopping trips. We may go to the store with a plan to get ingredients for nachos and spaghetti, but the information gets jumbled and instead we come home with a can of tomato sauce, a big bag of nacho chips, and a stock of celery. Not because we don't know what goes into spaghetti or how to make nachos, but because the information got jumbled, so we wound up with a bunch of random ingredients and not one single meal we can make with them. The hippocampus also messes with our memory and it makes it difficult to remember certain things or experiences or be able to explain them in a way that makes sense. We may feel like we are going crazy or are absent-minded, And we may often feel embarrassed by the things we should have been able to remember but didn't, like paying the bills on time or remembering someone's birthday, even someone's name. On my harder days, I'm always afraid to run into people I know because I may not be able to get their name right on time, even though I know their name. It may not come out when I need to use it, or my brain might go blank, even with people I've known for years or have a close relationship with. And that's really normal. This also happens with a lot more than just name recall. It can look like forgetting to take medication or running out of gas all the time, shutting, forgetting to shut the doors or turn off the stove, even... You might miss a meeting or an appointment because you totally forgot about it. Living with the after effects of trauma can, for a time, leave you with this constant unsettling feeling of always feeling like you're forgetting something. And there isn't a simple solution. We may take notes or write a list, but that connect the dots piece, we might forget to bring those notes with us, or that we wrote those notes down at all when we need to remember. Uh, Sometimes we even get it down, but then we miss the reminder that we set. And so when those dots don't always connect, there's not always a simple solution for, well, if you forget ABC, you should just write a note about it. That doesn't always work. If you've ever read Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Neville is the perfect example of this, and to me, he's one of the most relatable characters of all time. Yet like Neville, even if we struggle with these hard things, we can still be the hero in our own story, and we still have so much value to offer our community and the world. The second part of our brain that gets affected is our amygdala, which enlarges. This part of our brain is responsible for our emotions. This is where fight, flight, freeze takes place. And the more trauma we've experienced, the larger this part of our brain can be and we can have a hair trigger response to the world around us. Traumatic experiences have taught our body to always be ready to protect itself. And that doesn't go away just because the trauma is no longer happening. When our hippocampus is smaller, it gives us less of a chance to process through our experiences, identify what we are feeling and what we need. And when we can't process through something, our emotions tend to take over and it triggers that fight, flight, freeze cortisol response. A fight response typically looks like getting angry at everything, having little or no patience with ourselves, our kids, and the world around us. Maybe short-tempered, feel angry easily or often, we blow up, get loud, confrontational, have pent-up energy we don't know what to do with, and we can be very abrasive. A typical flight response means that we tend to avoid anything that makes us feel uncomfortable, including our emotions, conflict, stress, hard things with our kids, setting boundaries in relationships. We flee as a form of self-soothing. A typical freeze response may mean we go numb and stop noticing anything that's happening around us. We often seem distracted or feel frustrated that we can't feel anything. We may struggle identifying what we need or how we feel, much less communicating that effectively. I tend to have a freeze response and under higher stress loads, I skip freeze and go straight to fight mode. Usually we're a mix of them. And the bad news is that, yes, these can really negatively affect our lives and our relationships. But the good news is that once we're aware of them, we can learn strategies and tools that can help us be effective in recognizing not only our responses, but also our triggers, which we'll get more into on the last episode of this series. The last part of our brain that gets affected is our prefrontal cortex, which actually slowly disintegrates. This part of our brain is responsible for making sense of things, impulse control, understanding our emotions and what to do with them, decision making and being able to see the big picture. The chemicals our body need to be able to process hormones is also damaged too which means that we can struggle with producing hormones that our bodies need to effectively function and we lose our ability to produce, absorb, or distribute key hormones, which can lead to developing mood disorders. Common diagnoses of trauma survivors include anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, PTSD, panic disorder, ADHD, OCD, and other personality disorders. And when multiple traumatic experiences are present, CPTSD often gets misdiagnosed as a personal personality disorder like bipolar disorder, also ADHD. There's also new research coming out right now that even things that we used to think had nothing to do with trauma like schizophrenia may actually be more linked than we originally thought. Biologically, that inflammation coming from sustained cortisol, it communicates with our body's cells, and it actually changes our DNA. That DNA is then passed on to the next generation, and current research shows that change remains up to four generations. To put it simply, whatever was happening in your family roughly 75 to 90 years ago still has traces in your own DNA that can affect you today. This shows up in how our family views the world and tracks with the world and, among other things, mental health disorders and physical ailments. I could spend an entire episode just on that piece alone and what it means to break the cycle and heal. But as fascinating as epigenetics are, today I really want to simplify how our body responds to trauma and focus just on that. Depending on the person, all these changes from mental to physical to biological typically show up in one or one of two ways. Either in someone that is very rigid and inflexible or in someone who's very chaotic and disorderly. What we see, <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> with rigidity is someone who is super organized and maintains tight routines to maintain their sanity. They're almost always early or on time, but they struggle with empathy empathy or understanding. They are more likely to cope with overworking themselves, over themselves, and need to always be moving or doing, and tightly controlling every aspect of their life. When trauma causes a chaotic response, it usually shows up as always being late, struggling to remember things or stay organized, but also able to be—they're able to be more resourceful, flexible, and understanding. Popular or common coping mechanisms may be losing themselves in video games or social media or in more other creative outlets. You can see this theme played out in a lot of popular fiction and movies, Hermione and Harry and Harry Potter. Marlin and Dory and Finding Nemo, Meg and Joe and Little Woman, Sherlock and Holmes, even Rabbit and Pooh Bear. And just like in their literary forms, each of these characters has a super important role to play and they are all so valuable. Can you imagine Harry Potter with no Hermione or Sherlock without Holmes? However, trauma manifests for you, please know that it is okay. You are okay. Trauma just magnifies type A and type B personalities. And recovery allows for us to find a healthy balance of both put together. I know this episode might be heavy for some, and it fe- might even feel like there's a lot of bad news. The effects of trauma are there, regardless of whether or not we attribute them to trauma. But the good news is that we can learn to manage the effects by addressing trauma recovery strategies and becoming advocates for ourselves and our kids. While we have research that shows that trauma can affect us for four generations, we also have research that shows that all it takes is one caring, trauma-informed individual to stop the after effects of trauma in its tracks. Time doesn't heal this wound, but intentionally learning new skills and prioritizing our recovery Hi, do you need a hug? Okay, I'm gonna pause this and then I will come back to this. Anyways, (laughs) time doesn't heal this wound, but intentionally learning new skills and prioritizing our recovery, that does heal ourselves and can reverse much of the damage that trauma causes. Healing is possible and recovery is attainable. And lastly, please know that if you are a trauma survivor, you are not broken or damaged. All of these things are normal responses our body goes through in an attempt to keep us safe. They're not your fault and they do not take away from the value you bring to our world. You are worthy and you are okay, just the way you are. You are not alone. And you have a right to thrive. In my next episode, I'm going to get into a little about how trauma affects our kids, how it shows up and what to do and how to help them, how we can be that one adult that stops trauma in its tracks for our kids. And then we'll wrap up the series with skills and things that we can do to prioritize recovery and what that looks like. If you liked this episode, I'd love it if you'd hit that subscribe button and leave a five-star rating. When you hit the subscribe button, that means that you're the first to get notified when the next episode drops. If you're looking for more support, the link in my bio will take you to some free parenting resources for trauma recovery. All the best.